0: But we're continuing our study tonight on Hebrews called Jesus the Mediator of a New Testament or the Mediator of a New Covenant. And this is teaching number 29. And this is part two of how the items in the tabernacle point to Jesus in the New Testament. And in part two, we're going to be looking at the table and the consecrated bread. We're also going to be looking at the curtain that separated the holy place and the most holy place from one another. Hebrews chapter 9, 1 through 2 says this. Now the first covenant or the first testament, that's the Old Testament of the law of Moses, had regulations, that specific steps that they had to follow. You can read about that in Leviticus and Exodus and Numbers. Now the first testament had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. Verse two, a tabernacle was set up in its first room where the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. We looked at the lampstand last week. This was called the holy place. You can read about the consecrated bread in Exodus 25, 23 through 30. You can read about the consecrated bread in Leviticus 24, five through nine. And then the holy places in Exodus 26, 33. Now, the consecrated bread was bread that was set aside specifically from all the other breads and was placed on the table in the holy place. So the bread was placed on top of the table in the most holy place. Now, it's pretty obvious that the bread definitely represents Jesus because we looked at last week at how all the furnishings or all the items in the old covenant of law in the temple in the tabernacle they all pointed to Jesus. And so we're looking at how does the table point to Jesus? How does the consecrated bread point to Jesus? Last week how did the lampstand point to Jesus? We see that the bread points to Jesus in John 6:33 through 35. Jesus said the following, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. We looked at that last week, how the two great needs of the human race is light and life. Light, why am I here? Who is God? How can I know God? Does my life have meaning? Does my life have purpose? Light, and the world was living in darkness, so the world was in need of light, the world also needs life because we're born spiritually dead, separated from God. And so Jesus is the light of the world and he's the life for the world. He gives his life so that we can have life and his resurrected life comes to indwell us to give us life. But in John six thirty three through 35, Jesus said, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. We're going to look at John chapter 6 in weeks to follow. When we get to the Ark of the Covenant, we get to Aaron's staff that budded. We get to the gold jar of manna. We're going to look really deeply into John chapter 6 because the references in John 6 are all about the New Testament of grace. We're going to look at a little bit at the bread tonight, but when we get to the, the gold jar, the manna that's in the Ark of the Covenant, we're really going to go deep into that because that fits really well with that item that's in the Ark of the Covenant. I want us to take a look. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus talks about himself again being bread in Matthew 26, 20 and in Matthew 26, 26 through 28 i'm reading out of the new heart english bible here when evening came jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 the table is going to be one of our themes in this study now remember we just read out of hebrews chapter 9 verse 2 that in the tabernacle was the table and on that table there was consecrated bread bread specifically set apart on the table was the bread. And so when we look into Matthew 26, 20 and 26 through 28, it says, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread. Now, this bread would have been on the table where they were eating. So keep that in mind. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks for it, and broke it. And keep that phrase in mind as well. He gave thanks for it and broke it. And he gave the bread to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup, gave thanks and gave it to them saying, all of you drink it for this is my blood of the new covenant or the new Testament, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It's the Lord's supper. He's explaining to them, revealing to them that he's about to give his life to establish the new testament of grace, which they would have been familiar with, the disciples, because they would have known Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 through 34, where God promised a new testament or a new covenant was coming in. We looked at several verses in Isaiah last week where Jesus would establish a new testament or a new covenant. And so Jesus is explaining to them giving them the revelation that his body is bread, and he's going to give his body to establish the New Testament in his blood. And we, we've learned a lot about the New Testament in our study on Hebrews. We've learned it's not, the New Testament is not about books. It's about blood. Jesus is pouring out his blood for the New Testament or a brand new way of relating to God. That has nothing to do with the Old Testament of the law of Moses, but has everything to do with grace. Under the law, everything was conditional. Under grace, everything is free and it's complete. And so Jesus is establishing the New Testament of grace. Bread is his body where he takes upon himself our sins. His blood was poured out to cleanse us from sins. And it's complete Cleansing, complete forgiveness. So he's establishing this New Testament, this new way of relating to God in contrast to the Old Testament of law. Now, keep this in mind because later in our study, Luke is going to use the words table and bread and New Testament or New Covenant as well. But for now, let's look at the table of wood and how that table represents the cross of wood, where our sins were nailed to the cross of Jesus. Typically, when people look at the consecrated bread, they forget about the table. Easy to forget about the table, but the bread was placed on this wooden table. So look at Galatians chapter 3.13. I want to show us that the table of wood represents the cross of wood because every item pointed to jesus so we have to ask ourselves the question how did the table point to jesus and there's several ways the table pointed to jesus one the table was made out of wood and the cross of jesus was made out of wood let's look at galatians 3 13 christ redeemed us from the curse of the law that curses death By becoming a curse for us, because the wages of sin is death, the penalty for sin is death. The ultimate curse of the law is death. Jesus took our death upon himself on his body. The body of of Jesus, the bread of life, took death upon himself for us. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, that's death, by becoming a curse for us. He died our death. For it is written, and Paul is quoting deuteronomy chapter 21 verses 22 through 23 here for it is written he's going back into jewish scripture for it is written cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree now the word tree there is also a greek word for wood so cursed is everyone who was hung on wood you can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. You can look in Revelation chapter 18, verse 12. That the Greek word in both of those, 1 Corinthians 3, 12, Revelations 18, 12, is translated wood. So cursed is everyone who was hung on wood. The cross was made out of wood. So when talking about the cross in Acts 10 39 Peter uses the exact same Greek word for wood when Peter talks about the cross look what Peter says in Acts 10:39. he says we are witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem they killed him by hanging him on a cross the Greek word there is wood it's the same Greek word that was used for wood in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 the same exact word notice in Galatians 3:13 it's translated tree but in Acts 10:39 it's translated cross same Greek word though same Greek word both both of them mean wood they killed him by hanging him on wood You can also look in acts chapter 5 verse 30 the same greek word again is used for the word cross which is also the same greek word for the word wood and the word tree the point is this jesus was nailed to a wooden cross so remember we're looking at the items in the tabernacle one of the items was the wooden table where the bread was placed all right jesus's body is symbolized by bread the table symbolizes the cross so the symbolism of the bread being placed on the table is this just as the bread was placed on a wooden table in the tabernacle jesus's body was placed on a wooden cross there's your symbolism there our sin debt was nailed to the body of jesus upon the wooden cross where he was crucified Look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it, the charge, away, nailing it to the cross. So." let's start with this when you were dead we were born spiritually dead death entered the human race through adam through adam death sin and death spread to the entire human race so sin and death entered the human race through adam then through adam sin and death spread throughout the human race that's romans chapter 5 verses 12 through 21 so we're all born spiritually dead meaning spiritually disconnected from god not in relationship with god so when you were dead in your sins 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 or sin one sin causes spiritual death but when you were dead in your sins remember god told adam if you eat of the tree you will die the wages of sin is death we find out in the book of romans when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh god made you alive with christ so he's talking about the resurrection there that we've been made alive with christ how did that happen how have we been made alive with christ because remember we looked at last week that one of the great needs of the human race is life everybody's born spiritually dead in need of life jesus came to solve the problem that caused death so that we could have life the problem that caused death is sin jesus came to deal with the sin issue so that we can be made alive with christ so when you were dead this is colossians two thirteen and 14 when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh and god made you alive with christ well how did he do that he forgave us all of our sins. Well, how did he forgive us all of our sins? He tells us in verse 14, having canceled the charge, that's our sin debt, our sin debt has been canceled. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, the penalty for breaking the law is death. Jesus paid our debt in full, and our debt was then canceled because our debt was charged to jesus on the wooden cross so our sin debt was nailed to the cross with jesus this wooden cross right so having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us so that's what the law does the law condemns us the law is against us because we can't obey it the problem's not the law the problem's us so, the law charges us as guilty. It's against us. It makes the charge that we're guilty. It condemns us to death. It puts us on death row. And Jesus comes and he pays the debt that we were indebted to, our sin debt. And how did Jesus pay our sin debt? He has taken our charge of sin, our sin debt, he is taking it away. And where was our sin debt taken to? Nailing it to the cross. How much of our sin debt was nailed to the cross? 100% of our sin debt. All of our sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus. When Jesus paid our sin debt in full, there was no more debt for us to pay. It was completely and totally and eternally paid for by Jesus. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, none of us had sinned yet, but God knew we would have a sin debt. So even the sins we commit in the future have already been nailed to the cross. The debt has been fully paid for by Jesus. That's why it says here, God forgave us all our sins. You don't find this kind of terminology before the New Testament went into effect. Remember, all the way up until Jesus died on the cross, the Old Testament of law was in effect. The Lord's Prayer, unless you forgive others, God won't forgive you. That's Old Testament. That's pre-cross. 70 times 7, unless you forgive others, when they sin against you, this is Matthew 18, then your Heavenly Father won't forgive you how many times peter said should we forgive and jesus said 70 times seven peter if you want to earn forgiveness with god then this is the requirement for earning forgiveness under the law and that was meant to crush peter so he would know that forgiveness is not something we earn by forgiving 70 times seven jesus at one point in time at one time in history All of our sin debt was nailed to the cross. Remember Matthew chapter 18, the sin debt of the world has not been nailed to the cross yet. So all the references from Nehemiah and Daniel and David where they're begging God for forgiveness and they're asking God for forgiveness. Remember that's under the Old Testament of law. Their sin debt has not been paid for by Jesus yet. They didn't live under the New Testament of grace. They lived under the Old Testament of law. All the way up until Jesus went to the cross. And when Jesus went to the cross, our sin debt was nailed to the cross with Jesus. All of our sin debt was nailed to the cross. And when we place our faith in Jesus, Jesus says, when you place your faith in me, you receive my forgiveness. That's Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Paul says the same thing in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. Peter says the same thing in Acts chapter 10, around verse 41, 42, I believe. Forgiveness is received by faith. Notice what happens when a person receives by faith in Jesus forgiveness. God made you alive with Christ. Now, the only way you and I can be made alive with Christ is if all of our sins are forgiven. If all of our sins aren't forgiven, then we can't be made alive with Christ. How many sins did Adam have to commit for death to enter the human race? One. All it takes for spiritual death is one sin that's not forgiven. That's why all of our sins have to be forgiven so that we can be made alive with Christ. Now, we're taught in the majority of churches and in Christian ministries and organizations that we have to maintain forgiveness from God. Now, they'll teach you don't have to maintain your salvation. It's free, it's full, it's forever, it's eternal. But you have to maintain forgiveness. It's not free, it's not full, it's not forever. You have to maintain forgiveness on a sin by sin basis. And then they'll say, well, you're positionally forgiven, but not relationally forgiven. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go to the cross and just die for positional forgiveness. In reality, Jesus went to the cross to die for relational forgiveness so that he could reconcile God and man together. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Reconciliation is a relational term where God's not counting our sins against us. There's not two kinds of forgiveness, positional and relational. There's forgiveness. And all of our sins are forgiven in Christ. And if they're not, then each time we sin, we die spiritually. We're disconnected from God. We're not alive with Christ. The gospel is very logical when we think it through. So much of what we hear in churches from pastors and so many Bible schools, unfortunately, in Christian ministries is illogical. It just doesn't make sense logically. The gospel and the cross is logical. God's a logical God. And the fact that all of our sins must be forgiven in order to be made alive with Christ is a very logical part of the gospel. And it's illogical to say that, yes, we're eternally secure in Christ for salvation, but we're not eternally forgiven for day-to-day relationship. That just makes no sense. But that's what we're taught. Confess your sins, ask for forgiveness so you can stay in fellowship with God. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that it's been passed down so much traditionally that it's become biblical when it's only traditional and it's not biblical at all. So what we see in Colossians 2, 13 through 14, is you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us, the key word here, all. Why did God forgive us all of our sins? Well, how many of our sins did Jesus die for? All. And if somebody wants to put positional and relational in there, fine, that's included in the word all as well. All your positional sins, all your relational sins were forgiven. He forgave us all of our sins. Our sin debt has been canceled in Christ, can never be charged again for a sin because Jesus was charged for us and he paid it in full. And he took it away, knelling it to the cross. The wooden table in the tabernacle is symbolic of the cross that the bread of life Jesus was placed upon and our sin debt was placed upon the bread of life. He took our death so we could have life. Look what John chapter 129 says. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look the lamb of God, Jesus is the perfect spotless lamb who takes the sin of the world away. See, your and my sin has been taken to the cross. It's been nailed to the cross with Jesus. Every sin we've ever committed, will ever commit, sins we've committed in our thoughts, in our desires, and sins we've committed with our deeds, our attitudes, our actions, all of our sins have been nailed to the cross. That's the great news of the gospel of grace, but it's only part of the news. We're forgiven. We're righteous. We're justified. We're innocent. Christ now indwells us. We've been made alive with christ in his resurrection so we've been looking at how the table made of wood represents the wooden cross where our sin debt was taken away and nailed to the body of jesus we began our study by talking about the bread representing the body of jesus and the table representing the cross where jesus was crucified to establish the new testament of grace so just as the bread was placed upon a wooden table Jesus's body was placed upon a wooden cross for our sins. Now with this information about the table representing the cross and the bread representing the body of Jesus, let's look at Luke chapter 22 verses 14 through 20. Jesus is eating with his disciples in the upper room. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to establish this new testament of grace in his blood. He begins telling them about his body being bread. His blood being the wine poured out to establish this new testament of grace. Now, notice the words table and bread. When the hour came, this is Luke twenty-two fourteen 14 through 20. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. There's the word table again. And after taking the cup, Jesus gave thanks and said, there's the phrase Jesus gave thanks and said, take this and divided among you that's the bread and he took bread here it is he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me in verse 20 in the same way after the supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant or the new testament and he's not talking about Matthew Mark Luke and John there he's not talking about books of the bible he's talking about his blood that was shed so that we could have a new way of relating to God that was different than the law of Moses. It was all about the grace of Jesus. That's the New Testament established in his blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now personalize that for a minute, even though he's talking to his disciples with the word you there, you and I are included in that word because he died for us too. He went to the cross gave up his body the bread, shed his blood the wine for the forgiveness of our sins. And so the greatest way to honor the cross is to live in the forgiveness that he's freely given us when he went to the cross. And I think it's very dishonoring to the cross when we're constantly seeking forgiveness when the whole reason Jesus went to the cross was to give us forgiveness freely. And the greatest honoring of the cross is giving thanks god thank you so much that i'm forgiven thank you so much that i'm righteous jesus thank you for going to the cross for all of my sins and my sin debt has been canceled the charge has been paid and it's been paid in full and i live debt free now i'm forgiven and i'm righteous before you god so jesus is reclining at the table the bread that was on the table represents his body where our sin debt was nailed The debt was paid in full, but his blood cleanses us, purifies us from all sin. That's part of what we learn in Hebrews. So we see in these verses that Jesus sat at the table where the bread had been placed. The bread represented the body of Jesus given for us, and the wine represented the blood of Jesus poured out for us to establish the New Testament of grace, the testament where God remembers our sins no more. This eternal forgiveness that Jeremiah talks about in Jeremiah 31 through 34 Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, and Hebrews chapter 10, verses 17 through 18 complete, full, final, forever forgiveness. So, with this in mind, let's look at when Jesus sat down at the table and broke bread with the two men he met on the road to Emmaus. Remember, these two men were discouraged, they were down, they were disappointed. The crucifixion had happened. Jesus had been buried. They were expecting Jesus to have been the Christ who was going to rescue the nation of Israel from Roman rule and establish the kingdom of God on earth, this coming kingdom, which Jesus ultimately will do. And they're discouraged and they're walking on the road, and all of a sudden Jesus comes up and begins walking with them, the resurrected Jesus. And they didn't know who Jesus was at first. I want us to notice. In this account that we're going to read, when Jesus sits down at the table with these two men, the similarities between the table and bread when Jesus sat down with the disciples in Matthew 26 and in Luke 22, and here in Luke 24, 30 through 32, when Jesus sits down at the table with the two men who were on the road to Emmaus, they get to the men's house. The men ask jesus to come in they want to talk more with them they want to hear more they want to understand more they want to learn more luke 24 through 30 32 says when he was at the table with them that's jesus them being the two men on the road to emmaus are now at their home when jesus was at the table with the two men jesus took bread gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them the exact same language in Luke 22, and in Matthew 26. And remember, in Luke 22 and Matthew 26, Jesus is communicating to his disciples that he's about to establish the new covenant. He's about to establish the new testament of grace, full forgiveness, that the old testament of law is about to be outdated and obsolete, and the new testament of grace is about to replace the old testament of law. Not under law, we're under grace. Paul explains that in Romans, right? And so Jesus is sitting at the table with the two men on the road to Emmaus. He takes bread, gives thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Now, notice something here. Jesus is at the table. The bread is on the table, just like in the tabernacle, just like in the upper room. He's at the table. Jesus takes bread, gave thanks, broke it, and then he, he gives them the bread. Now, think about this for a minute. These men didn't know it was Jesus. They knew that they, they were talking to somebody who was a pretty educated person, He was explaining things to them. But they didn't recognize who they were talking to yet. And it says, Jesus breaks the bread. He gives thanks for it, breaks the bread, and he begins to give it to them. I believe when Jesus held out his hands to give them the bread, they saw the nail scarred hands of Jesus. And I believe one of the things that Jesus had been talking to them about on the road to Emmaus. Before they recognized it was Jesus, was this New Testament of grace? I mean, that's why Jesus went to the cross to establish this New Testament to pay our sin account. And I believe he was explaining to these men about the New Testament of grace, among some other things. But I would have absolutely be almost 100% assured that this New Testament of grace, of full and final forgiveness purchased for us by Jesus was a major part of their conversation and i think when jesus gave them the bread he's the bread of life he's at the table with them and they see his nail scarred hands it says at that point when jesus gave them the bread their eyes were open and they recognized him and then he disappeared from their sight i know in my own life i knew jesus died on the cross for my sins but there was a point in my life, my eyes were opened. It was a moment, a time, it was a defining moment in my life, an aha moment in my life as a believer. When for the first time, I really recognized that all my sins were forgiven. That the New Testament became reality to me. And I think that's what happened for them. This New Testament of grace became reality for them. Millions of believers celebrate, the new testament the new covenant in what's called communion or the lord's supper some every sunday some once a month some once a quarter but the majority don't know what they're celebrating they don't recognize what this new testament is they their eyes haven't been opened to see that what they're celebrating is a reality and the reality is they're completely forgiven and completely righteous the blood represents complete forgiveness the the bread of jesus represents his body that our sins were nailed to the bread also represents jesus going into the grave and and resurrecting so that when we take up the jews it's symbolizing that we are completely forgiven and when we eat of the bread what it's saying is our sin debt has been canceled And Christ now lives within us. The bread goes into us, right? The Lord's Supper. Forgiveness lives in us when we drink of of the juice. It's symbolism that forgiveness lives in me. And the person of Christ lives in me. The the bread goes into us. The life of Christ, Jesus, the bread of life, the bread of life lives in me. I'm, I'm no longer dead in my sins. I'm alive with Christ. I'm fully forgiven forever. I don't have to spend the rest of my life maintaining forgiveness, asking for forgiveness. I am forgiven. And Christ comes to live in me. I'm purified from all sins. I'm cleansed from all sins through the blood of Christ. Millions of believers are taken of the Lord's Supper, and they have no idea. Their eyes have not been opened because nobody's explained it to them. Nobody's taught it to them. Nobody's helped them. And Jesus explained this to the men. And when they saw his nail-scarred hands when he broke the bread, I think it clicked with them. We're living in the New Testament. We're living in the New Covenant. That's Jesus we're talking to. And then they ask each other, verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked on the road with us when he opened the scriptures to us? Now, what scriptures did Jesus open to them? Look at Luke twenty-four twenty-seven. Luke 24, 27 reads this way. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Moses and all the prophets is Genesis through Malachi. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Genesis through Malachi, remember Genesis 3, 15 talks about a promise one will come into the human race. So Jesus probably picked up in the Genesis account of Adam and Eve and walked them through scripture. We went through a lot of that in our study on Hebrews as well. We looked at a lot of these scriptures that point to Jesus. So, Luke 24, 7, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them, the two men on the road to Emmaus, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The scriptures. Notice it doesn't say in the Old Testament, the scriptures. That's why you'll hear me referring to the scriptures. I I don't refer to what the Old Testament says, because that's man's misunderstanding of the scriptures. The Old Testament is not about books. The scriptures contain the books, and the scriptures contain the Old and New Testaments, the blood of Jesus and the blood of animals, the Old Testament, the animals, New Testament, the blood of Jesus. But it's scriptures. What do the scriptures say, Paul says? Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures, that's Genesis through Malachi, concerning himself. What do these scriptures tell us about Jesus? Well, these scriptures tell us about Jesus' identity as the Christ who came to establish the kingdom of God and the new testament of grace. You can find that in the scriptures. These are the scriptures about Jesus' work on the cross to establish the New Testament of grace so people could live in God's kingdom on earth. Isaiah 52, 13 through 53 talks about the life and the suffering of Jesus on earth. Talks about he would justify many. And these are also the verses in the scriptures about Jesus' life on earth and his resurrection. Psalm 16, 10, Acts 2, 22 through 35. Peter quotes from the scriptures in the early parts of Acts. Matthew constantly is quoting from the scriptures. Luke quotes from the scriptures, all to identify Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. And if you'll go back a few teachings and really throughout all of these teachings, starting even in our first set of teachings, we've looked into the Jewish scriptures that point to Jesus, that point to the New Testament. And these are the scriptures that Jesus explained to the two men on the road to Emmaus To help them understand who he was, his identity, and the finality of what he did for them. And the eternal security of what he did for them. in purchasing for them complete, full forgiveness and cleansing from sin. And then the resurrection where Jesus comes to indwell us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Talks about that in Colossians. And Paul writes about the indwelling presence of Christ in us where we call God have a Father, and we know him personally. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to this teaching today. If you enjoy these teachings, you may also enjoy the resources on my website, gracereach.org, and you may also enjoy my books, which are available on Amazon. I also have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page, and you can find the links to all my resources and the details of this podcast teaching. If you'd like to support my ministry in reaching more and more people with the good news of God's grace and teaching more and more people about His grace, click the donate button on the Grace Reach website, again, which is gracereach.org. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to this teaching today. I pray that through these teachings, you are understanding the Bible more fully and you're understanding God's grace more clearly. Have a great day.